I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. Are we starting? Is this... I guess. Are we that's, rolling? If that's the best you've got. <laughs> That made me feel so bad. Welcome to BDMFT, the Bearded Dicks musical fun time. I'm the dick. I'm the beard. We I fucked that up again. I'm the beard. I just roll with it. You're the fetty. Sure. I'm the dick, and I'm spaghetti. One in his spaghetti. <laughs> okay, whatever. Just do whatever I say. All right, Are you kids we'll old talk, enough for talking references? With the dogs here. I want you to show him the night of his life. <laughs> so, uh, we had to split BDMFT 2020, 2021 into two, so this is 2021. Yeah. We were so ambitious last time, and then it was suddenly one in the morning, and we still had a whole nother year to cover. Yes, because we don't record during normal hours. <laughs> no, and also, we... We figured if we're a year late, why not make it a couple weeks late for this year, so. Yeah, at the time of recording this episode, I still haven't edited the last one, because I'm lazy, so. Yeah. I'd like to say I was working hard, but more like hardly working. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we're just gonna, to, tonight we're, we're gonna get into our favorite, for me, my favorite records of 2021, for Ben, video games and whatever you didn't cover in the last episode? Yes. I mean, uh, it's just mostly going to be video games because there, there isn't a huge amount of newer stuff I played in 2021, but there is stuff that I played in 2021 that I'm probably going to spend like some time on. So, sure. Yeah, and for me, this was a year where every year I typically buy much more music that's older than keeping up with new releases, but this was especially prevalent this year i started uh the beginning of the year with buying a bunch of outside agency hardcore techno stuff and then moved into deciding to get into the ludicrously expensive world of buying all the idm records i want from the mid 90s which is now experiencing uh new highs in prices and you're just a trendsetter man no it's sort of the opposite i mean i was there but then and now I'm back. IDM's always been a collector's game, but uh, anyways, and then the summer was, I didn't buy any, almost any records for three months, and then I jumped into going back to early 2000s, late 90s drum and bass, because I love to spend money on that shit, and uh, now I've been listening to old techno, so, <laughs> <laughs> so my list is relatively short, which means uh, the good thing from my perspective is I'm going to get to play some more sound samples than I did last time. We only sampled a couple songs, and I had such a huge list. So I'm going to jump right in. One of the records, you know, for me, there's some bands that or artists that 
I just assume it's going to make the year-end list, and I'm not a big fan of assuming that if one, if a band or artist did an album I really love, like, they can't ever top that again. I mean, that can happen sort of naturally, where whatever you hear first, you have that nostalgia factor on yeah. top of, you know, it might be a really high-quality album, but this band in particular, uh, I just have found, never found a fault in any of their material and own a, a lot of it, not all of it by any stretch. My only complaint would be that they do so many reissues and reeditions and whatever, but then I love that it's available for as many people as possible. And that would be Anatomia. I love Anatomia. Do you? Yeah. Weird. Uh, it's almost like you have three Anatomia posters directly behind you. And a transgressor poster. Yes, that's accurate. Uh, so the 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 before Anatomia there was Transgressor. And I will say that the only complaint I have about the new album is it's the first album that they've done uh, that doesn't come with a poster. Their three previous albums all have posters. Actually, I have another Anatomia poster over there. But, yeah, so that was that's like the biggest complaint I have. It's the same artist whose name eludes me, and it's this really nice kind of like scratchy, I don't know if it's graphite or pencil, but it's these sort of kind of classic anatomical type drawings with a bit of like a Japanese uh, artistic flourish to it. And this one is somebody getting crushed on a wheel, like a torture device. But the album's called Corporeal Torment. And their last album was basically like a full album and then a whole second album in two songs of ultra dingy, wet, fetid basement sewer ambience stuff and barely what you could call metal and this album was like ah, we're not even gonna have a pretense of being a normal death metal band anymore <laughs> we're gonna do three regular songs and then one 20 minute long whole side of just grueling like death ambience and it's wonderful i fucking love it i was listening to this while i was playing bloodborne and finally getting through all of bloodborne in the dlc this summer and so i would just fucking loop this shit and uh get real miserable with it and then it carried over into neo which was a less successful soundtrack but still pretty good and yeah it's tough i mean the the songs are seven minutes eight and a half minutes five minutes and then 21 minutes long so obviously i'm not going to be able to play much of any given song so we're just going to play the 20 minute song in its entirety I want to play a little bit of it just to kind of give a feel, but again, at 20 minutes, it's kind of tough to sort of demonstrate the permutations it goes through, but it's a really wonderful album. It's their their first single LP album since, I guess, their first one, and it you know it's a reasonable length at 40, 40 minutes or so uh, compared to the almost hour and a half that their last album was, but because I love Anatomia and pretty much everything they do I enjoy having a really long album isn't what I want from most bands these days but for Anatomia and for the style of music they do which is so slow and trudging it does not bother me to have it be that long so you know it's I I always appreciate conciseness on the other hand that this album could have been twice the length and I would have been fine with it so anyways this is a little bit of Mortem the closing track from Corporeal Torment
pretty good. Yeah. It's no insecto circus, <laughs> but it's pretty good. It's true. You're right about that. Yeah, I, I normally I listen to Anatomia in the summer, and this year was no different. It's just, you know, when things are so hot and humid that you just can't really do much without already just being more hot and humid and you just feel like a slug. Uh, this is that music, and it's just one of those two where... Especially, like, I have a playlist on my iPod of just all of the the most minimal and melancholy and disgusting-sounding Anatomia songs to sleep to. <laughs> and uh, it's gone through different names over the years, but uh, normally, like, Putrescence or something like that. And I'll just put this on at night and I'll be like, all right, time for bed. It was a hard day. <laughs> and then just... For 20 minutes, it was like, oh, so nice. And that's so, right, kids. You heard him say iPod. Yeah, I have an original iPod classic. But yeah, it's just it's just a wonderful album and it's so it's so reassuring with Anatomia. It really when they put out their last album it was like, oh, this just isn't a fluke. Like these are just some older older dudes who know exactly how to make what they want to make. It's, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not traditional death metal or even death doom in a lot of ways it really has leaned further and further into this just like murky mire and it's funny having been playing demon souls uh recently there there's the swamp of sorrow or whatever it's called and it's just like the kind of shit where i'm like i should put on some anatomia because <laughs> it, it that's all i can think of is like swamps and dungeons and um i'll end with a couple years ago about three or four years ago the sort of the genre of dungeon synth came back in a big way and it's a very particular type of thing uh kind of nerd synth dungeons and dragons black metal intros as albums kind of thing and this is to me especially that song mortem is what i would imagine real dungeon synth to be <laughs> it sounds much more like a dungeon than it does a casio uh and dungeon synth is fine i don't mean that as a diss it's just you heard it here first. Dick Fetty hates Dungeons. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Oh, okay. So this uh, this next one was a late add-on. I was just telling Ben about this earlier. So I didn't cover this in my movie part because I wasn't even thinking of it when we recorded last week. But Bo Burnham's Inside, both as an album and as a film, I didn't love it at first. I wasn't hooked the way that my some of my friends were or impacted the same way, but... The after we recorded last week, I was like, "Ah, oh, I want to listen to that," and then it's been stuck in my head and on repeat on my phone for the past week. And I'm just like, "It's one of those things where it's like fun, humorous music. Some of it, although some of it's kind of more serious. Uh, but it's the instrumentation and all that. Like he knows how to write a catchy synth pop song." Hip hopish kind of songs, like weird R and B. Like he, he like on an instrumentation level, I'm like I would listen to this with any other lyrics. But then the lyrics are fun enough. There's the one song problematic that just like cracks me up in a bunch of ways, and it's it's like half song, half you know like comedy mumblings, and and it's just like a really catchy song. Like it's just or the sexting one too. And uh, three of the songs on that album were on the top hundred 
bubbling under artists type of like you know not not top 40 but like they charted yeah which is crazy in a year of the pandemic uh for anything to chart anywhere but i mean you what are your thoughts on inside i loved it i mean i i i'll go through spurts when i get like really back into stand-up stuff because mm. i was i I've always been, like, really, really into stand-up as, like, one of the ultimate forms of comedy. Sure. And um, I've, I've loved Bo Burnham since I saw him, because I used to watch all of those OG Comedy Central, like... Oh, yeah. The shorter specials and yeah. everything they did. And I remember when he was, like, 16 or 17 on YouTube. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think he very, he very much captured... The feeling of the first year of the pandemic, um, and the, the the song about um, what is it like my, my weekly call with my mom? Oh yeah, Facetime with my mom. Yeah, or whatever it is. so good. Yeah, so good. Um, but yeah, I, I mean the saving the world through comedy is kind of always stuck in my head. Sure, but um, I you know. As far as, like, comedy goes, I don't know if it was as revolutionary as everyone, well, a lot of people make it out to be, but I definitely think it was a very important thing for stand-up and something that, like, did go in a new direction. Not necessarily groundbreaking, but, like, important and captured the pandemic in a way that a lot of other forms of media weren't able to. Yeah, and even a lot of... visual type stuff that tried to for most of the time it feels like not a reflection of my reality and granted his isolation was self-imposed but the way that it comes through feels much more universal than it does like rich person telling me about their problems kind of a thing and that was sort of I think my kind of breakthrough with it was that when I went into it I was expecting like there was so much hype about like whatever it was supposed to be. And I just kind of felt like he says a lot of, like he says a lot of funny things and some insightful things. And then some things that felt like, don't be trying to tell me shit kind of a, kind of a deal. But upon repeated listens, the, what I take away more from it than anything is like some songs about sort of our shared experiences in COVID, no matter whether you're rich or whatever, as far as FaceTiming with mom or things like that this kind of observational humor, but there's a general feeling of like everything's fucked and like, we're all trying to figure out what to say or do or whatever, but also there isn't an answer. And not that that's necessarily hugely revelatory, but the way it's presented, like he's self deprecating and you know, that, that whole like um, song about, you know, I'll tell you a joke and there's all this stuff about, you know, like white guys and you know, that's, it's just, yeah. It's, the Jeff Bezos song. Welcome yeah. to the internet is... Nah. Yeah, we're, oh, I'm going to play the first Jeff Bezos song, I think, as our sample. But just because it's a minute long, but also extremely good. And But, you know, he really kind of, like, goes in between taking sort of shots at, like, PC cancel culture, but then also, like, acknowledging his own shit. And, and then, and especially the one, the, the sort of acoustic guitar number he does, which visually is also, like, super good and brutal and uh it's just all kind of like hyperlink buzzword type stuff that the first time i heard it i was like this just feels like a ham-fisted attempt to grab everyone by some different buzzword but then 
hearing it now many times since, it's kind of more like, no, this is the sort of like nonstop Ferris wheel nightmare bullshit that we all experience because we're all addicted to the internet and whether it's Reddit or Instagram or Facebook or all of those things and just the way, like it's, I'm like, ah, no, yeah, this just makes me want to blow my fucking brains out. I mean, for me, the the biggest thing that stood out to me wasn't even necessarily the message on what was going on through the pandemic or the things he touched on socially, but more so being an artist. Sure. And because he worked on it for a year. And anytime you work on something, especially something you love, and you're doing it long enough, there's a point where, like, I don't want to do this anymore, I don't think. And maybe sometimes it'll get to the point where it's not fun anymore. But, like, still pushing through that. Yeah. Because it's, it's a very hard thing to do when you're working on something that you love and you just don't want to fucking do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, there's been many a movie and other thing made about the sort of suffering of the artistic process. And most of the time it comes off as just, like, a giant jerk session mm-hmm. on, like, how art is so hard. And it can almost get to that point in the film, especially because there's a lot more of non, like the song stuff only covers so much of what's in the movie, but it, it does, I think it trans like goes past that. It transcends yeah. the sort of limitations of that kind of messaging in part, cause there's so much other stuff going on, but I agree from, especially from a music standpoint myself, like I, I put together a 60 minute tape this year and it was rewarding, especially now with time having passed, listening to the master many times. But when you're going through it, you're like, is this the greatest thing ever? Or am I just like a fucking moron and I'm super self deluded? <laughs> and like, you know, do I think everything I make is solid gold? And like, why am I even doing this? Because like, who is this for? And especially in something like noise where it's just like, is this all just ego masturbation? Mm-hmm. A bunch of fucking nerds just jerking off on each other over noise? Like, Probably partially, but <laughs> yeah. So on that note, let's play one of the least controversial <laughs> and most enjoyable tracks from the album. CEO entrepreneur, born in 1964, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. CEO entrepreneur, born in you now Zuckerberg and Gates and Buffett amateurs can fucking suck it fuck their wives drink their blood come on Jeff get him it's the uh the scream at the end is what really like <laughs> turns it to that. It adds that X factor to it, and um, it was funny. Uh, one of our friends who bought a house this year, he he was the one I watched it with, and before we watched it, he was like, "You gotta see, you gotta see." He was like, "The music is really good." And he sent me that song. I was like, "Yeah, that's fun, whatever." And he was telling me he put up curtains with his father-in-law one day and just had that in his like earbuds the whole time and was just like yeah listen to that song like four hundred times so it's like y- you know there's other songs out there you know and just but I remember those days of being on speed and just being like this song is the song I'll listen to for the next ten hours straight so yeah the funny thing about that song is uh, 
there was an argument between my wife and someone recently who may or may not be related to me about Jeff Bezos and the other person was just being like, yeah, no, Jeff Bezos is a great man and blah, blah, blah. It's so funny that you say that because it also makes me think of, I was not involved in the experience, but my mom and sister were out visiting friends and my sister, it was like right when he was going to space or just come back or something like that. And she made some comment about like, I don't, I just don't want to hear about Jeff Bezos anymore. And the friend who's course extremely wealthy was like how dare you that man's an entrepreneur he's an american fucking like basically almost threw them out of the house because of this and it was like what it didn't it it didn't get that heated but it was one of those situations where i immediately was like i'm going to remove myself sure sure from this because this person i i love them but i don't speak politics to them yeah ever yeah and yeah it was one of those things where it's like uh you know, like, he built himself up from nothing and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I, I was just like, didn't his, like, parents or something give him a bunch of money to start Amazon? He, and, like, like, I got shot down really quick. And then I looked up. I was like, no, I was right. So it's, it's just one of those things where all the extremely wealthy people in America were already had money. No, well, there's that. But it's more of the whole... Like, people need shit to believe in, and some people put their faith in stuff like that. Like, you know, this aversion of the American dream or whatever it is. And if you even question it, like, it's just interesting as a skeptic on everything. I don't understand any of that. I'm, like, not quite a nihilist, but I can't tell you how many times a day I say to myself, nothing matters. None of this matters. Everything is meaningless. And then my wife's like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I just, like... It's, it's, it's just crazy to me. Yeah. So, my next pick, I will play, I guess, I don't know. So, last, no, I, I'm sorry. In 2020, and we may have talked about this at some point, I got into Charlie XCX. Well, I had heard a little bit before, but I sort of took the plunge and then just have been in the deep end ever since. And so... It's, yeah, she she supplanted Carly Rae Epson as far as favorite current pop artist. Not that you really have to make these choices, but she's definitely my go-to girl. And a lot of it's because of the production design on so much of her stuff after, um, like basically once she did the sort of two mixtape albums and all that, and the EPs leading into that, it's just insane and, uh, working with all the PC music people doing spots with Carly Rae or with Hannah Diamond and all this. It's just like doy. Like, of course I like it, you know, Didn't Sophie. we have this conversation about how all noise boys have a secret love for a certain pop? Oh music? yeah. This is a, this is a known quantity. Yeah. I think in the, certainly in the American noise scene, but I think it's a pretty international phenomenon. Like we all have something we need to get our sort of antithesis of noise from. And I mean, weirdly, Charlie, it, it may, it's more in line with noise or anything like that because the PC music style of hyper-production is so aggressive often. Like, I'm so used to this stuff and it immediately appealed to me in a way that wasn't... I didn't have to do a lot of thinking, but we had Alexis 30th last year and so she said... Her mom told me to make the playlist and I had all this Charlie XCX on it. And first, I didn't really realize there was going to be, like, literal kids there and these songs are 
raunchy to say the least a lot of them but also like half the songs break down in just like a caterwaul of digital drums and synth stabs and distortion and i'm like oh man this is for me but not for (laughs) them to the point where i eventually i was just released of all my dj privileges at the party and then her mom was like i'm playing what i want i was like isn't it alexis party but anyway, uh, so she put out two new songs and did a bunch of guest spots, but she did Good Ones and uh, New Shapes, both of which have amazing videos. Good Ones is definitely the... That video is amazing. I've already told Alexa this is what she has to do when I die and how she has to dance on my coffin. God, you're going to have such a long funeral. It's going to be exhausting. Alexa and I have to do. Yeah, I know. But I want to play... I think what I'm going to do is play a little bit from New Shapes, specifically the Carolina Polachek, or I'm not sure how to say her last name. Her her verse in the song is exceptional. And it's just... They're they're way less aggressive, hyper-pop, experimental, whatever. They're more like really good electro synth-pop type stuff. But that's fine. I love that. She knows how to write a hook, and her vocals always are wonderful. Uh, she's touring, I think she's going to be around next month or two months from now. Tickets are very expensive, but I'm probably going to pull that trigger. And uh, I think both of these are going to be on her album, Crash. So uh, I've already pre-ordered that, and assuming it's as killer as the singles, then I'll be probably talking about this God, you this pre-ordered year. something? Yeah, I know. Wow. I know. But she's the kind of chick who's like, the vinyl version is going to be a one-time thing, and then because it's pop music, it's going to sell for stupid money, and I'm, I don't want to have to buy from a scalper just, later. You just don't pre-order anything. It's crazy. I don't. No, not normally. So, anyways, this is uh, this is New Shapes, and this... this well, let me say, too, Good Ones, we played that at our wedding. That was wonderful. It was very nice to dance to that. I was so drunk at your wedding. I don't even remember. <laughs> but uh, New Shapes wasn't wedding appropriate, but it, it, is, it is a bop. What you want?
Maybe we're meant for another dimension, babe Deep in the dark of your brain like a star in space You call it art, but you pulled on my heart And you twisted it into a new shape Yeah, I'm dying for it again and again Trying to get up close to you Fucked if I know how it's gonna end But honestly, life would be better if I never met you in the first place What you want? She's like, no, oh, it's weird. She put out some new music recently that I really like, but we won't. It's not my disco box. It's Dick Fetty's disco box. We didn't even open it properly. It. We left it open since last time. You're right. We did. We did. Yeah. We only closed a little bit. Yeah. Good continuity. So, <laughs> this is like, it's almost embarrassing at this point, but <laughs> uh, it's a, much like Anatomia. Do I even need to say it? UVB 76. <laughs> the label fucks me up, okay? And one day when we have our own, like, Motel Wiki, it's going to be like, Dick Fetty, UVB 76 is going to be the first thing that pops up under your name sure. and then your bio. Yeah. It's it just, I, you know, I, like I said, I bought a lot of drum and bass 12 inches this year, but mostly I was looking back and there are a lot of really good labels, but. It's just a hundred percent to my aesthetic. Everything they put out is phenomenal. It, that's also the other part of it. And so, you know, I can't say I'm the most experienced in current drum and bass person. And so it's harder for me to, you know, in the one sense, like I can't compare it to all the other things that are coming out. Cause I'm not hearing all of them. I hear a, a fair amount, but like not nearly enough to be like, this is the best drum and bass 12 inch yeah. of the year comprehensively. But personally, I can certainly say, with a lot of it, it's like, I don't care what else there is. It's hard to imagine shit that isn't more engineered specifically for what I like. And I was excited because I've missed now, I'm, I've got a couple holes in the label's discography. They had a pretty productive this year between Droogs and the main label. But Karim Moss and Steve put out an album together and... I like the Krim Ma stuff. It's sort of an interesting mix of more experimental sound designy, but still with a beat generally or like kind of noisy techno and whatever. And then these kind of more sort of more normal drum and bass, but still not in that old school style structure of build up, drop it a minute and a half second, you know, sort of bridge second, build up second, drop fade out kind of stuff. It's, it's more, in that, you know, like we talked about last time with Clarity, a different kind of a template song, you know, more of a techno song structure. I liked, but I've liked his stuff. I especially hear his influence on the 4625 
12 inches. But then Steve, Steve put out a 12 inch, which I, you actually have a copy of too, mm-hmm. because I ordered something and they gave me two by accident. And it's so good. It reminds me a lot of the early carriage 12 inches, which are like techno, because what else are you going to call it? But they're not really techno in any way, shape, or form. And it's, they're like these clattering, noisy, industrial tinged, slower than techno, but still using a lot of the same palette. And it's that great kind of noisy techno where it's like, talented techno producer making something with a noisier edge rather than a talented noise producer making shitty techno which isn't to say that's always the case uh, i think they've proved in the last decade and a half a lot of noise guys can make really quality techno but this is like this is exactly the right amount of noisiness without me just thinking i should be listening to just harsh noise you know yeah and so i was very excited to see that they did this album together and figured it would be good and i bought it in this big big bunch of records i bought from hard wax and yeah fuck if it isn't just it's not all bangers for sure it's like half grim ass dark shit clanging or not even necessarily clanging but like ominous scrapings and you know the it's like got this dark ambient stuff going through it but then the other half of it is like oh yes and i was it was i was listening to converter today which is paranoid stuff, but his last album kind of flirts with more traditional industrial, but then we'll still like mix in some weird, more club music kind of a feelings to it. And this, it was reminding me of this album because it's, it's this really weird amalgam. Um, anyways, I'm going to play the second track, which is called loop zero zero two. And it's all good, but this, this was the one that definitely, I normally wind up repeating after I play.
Yeah. What do you think about that? I think at this point we should just start another offshoot podcast called UVP76, the Fan podcast. Club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I pulled out the record and it's funny. I think the picture is in between two billboards. There's... Yes, I believe so. It kind of looks like that, but there's like this little, uh, almost looks like the contractor's kind of a box There might be on a construction site. So it might be more something more industrial, but it's, it's this under, like a shot from underneath of all this metal scaffolding and beams and whatnot and... As Ben said, is this one of your pictures? <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar to uh, pictures I took of a big metal watchtower uh, last or two years ago for a release. But yeah, it's very good stuff. And I guess this is what they call the gray area as far as between drum and bass techno, you know, whatever. <laughs> you you If you know UVB76, you kind of know what to expect. It's... A little bit of this, a little bit of that. A whole bunch of deliciousness. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I recommended Meta Device last week, but I didn't get a chance to play any of the stuff from the tape. Uh, This is an album, this is the only album on the list that I don't own, but I did get to hear the advanced master of it, and it's just, I just haven't had a chance to pick it up yet. And it's called Turba, T-U-R-B-A, and... It's like a really fast tuba. Yeah, I like think so. Like a turbo so. tuba. Yeah. And uh, I had the the pleasure of getting to hear this before it came out. And I was just... It was one of those things where I was working on my album. And then I heard this and was like, why am I even fucking bothering? It's, it's so complex. Like, the arrangements are so full. And it's so musical. But still being industrial and hard and, and like, interesting... And it's just, I love the Sector 304 stuff. I love Beyond Enclosure, but Andre just keeps pushing the envelope with what he's doing. And it is very frustrating as a fellow, you know, noise, industrial guy, whatever. I'm just like, I, I'm just like not at that level. No, you're terrible. <laughs> it's not that. I mean, and, and what I'm doing and trying to do is different, but it is hard. You know, it's like I talked about, with the the grunt album of spiritual eugenics it's a double album where it's like if i made any one of these songs i'd be like i'm done i quit i've already mastered my craft and it's like yeah he just puts out fucking double album of bangers and i'm just like this is this is fucking bullshit but that was how i felt the first time i heard patrulli and ruli i was just like this is this is this is unbeatable this is just the best and uh anyways but i'm gonna play the first song mobile vulgus uh from this a little bit of that kind of give you an intro but the every song on this album has its own unique flavor and tenor but it it is definitely an album and i highly recommend don't be like me don't slack on this shit so check this out
added more elements in the first two and a half minutes of that song than the entirety of my albums and shit. It feels like there's, I think there's a guitar. You got the vocals. <laughs> you got the the synthy sounds, and then the noisy bits, and the little cling clangs, and the big drum. What language was that? Portuguese, I'm pretty sure. So, uh, I don't, but I couldn't say for sure in the sense of it's tough when you don't know the other languages. They all kind of sound the same. But uh, wow, no, we well, you know how it is. No, I'm not a racist like oh, you. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. You've just never been out of the country, you bitch. So, meta device is this? Is this like Mark Zuckerberg's project, new music yeah. project? It's an AI that just creates industrial music from all the digital detritus. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's music about the music. No, uh, but yeah, I like I. I don't want to fanboy too much about it, but it it is. No, it's... there's definitely parts of it where, like, uh, I could feel myself... So, <laughs> it's funny, because, like, when I listen to, like, harder music, the first word that pops into my head when it's something I like is, ew. Mm. And uh, I could feel my, like, my, like, mm, oh, mm, mm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. My yeah. ew face coming on. Well, and the frustrating is that, you know, I'm gonna... It's gonna be a two-minute sample or so in the episode, but the end of the song com- completely different. Like, it melts into this beautiful, like, ambient malaise and... Yeah, and it looks like a lot of them are decently long songs. Yeah, it, there's there's this progressive element to the compositions that keeps things interesting and, again, just makes it feel like there's more dynamics in some of these songs than whole albums or, you know, whatever. It, it's apples and oranges? Why can't fruit be compared? But, uh... Yeah, I don't know. Did you just I, quote Little Dicky. I did, I yeah. did. I've been listening to him too lately. So. Little Dicky's fun. Little Dicky is fun. His show's fun too. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but yes. So definite recommendation. I I listened to very little noise industrial electronics this year, and this was um, you know. So I don't have a ton of recommendations in that line. But this was as soon as I heard it, I was just like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. All right. So the next one. And again, I'm not going to belabor this. We've already kind of talked about this, and it's I wasn't I wasn't originally going to do this because I was trying to limit shit to like to put two UVB seventy six records on a on a single list seems like stacking the deck. They're your two favorite things of the year, like two of your favorite things of the year. You know, it's yeah, it's just how it works. But overlooked at a lot of good stuff, mostly kind of splits or collab split type releases. And the first one I picked up was UVB seventy six eighteen. With the second track is with Corinne Moss, which is the one I want to talk about. The first track is good, and it well, it's really good. It's interesting because it's not even like the sort of industrial techno, air quotes, whatever, of the Osiris 12-inch or... Um, ah, shit, what was the other one? The, oh, Sleight of Hand. I guess those were both on Osiris, but... It, or, or the Totem EP, it's kind of like that, but it's even more slow and grim, and I'm like, where, where is, where is he going with this? It's, it definitely has, like, a soundtracky vibe to it, in a good way. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say cinematic per se, but, um, it's, it was nice. It was something different. And then, and, and it's wonderful. But then Heart of Darkness comes in on the flip side, and it's not... The the BPM is low, like the speed is relatively low for the song, and if you were to, to bump this up, it would really feel like a 90s, late 90s, early 2000s techage kind of a song. 
with its slower speed, it's it it gives a different vibe, but it's it is it's surprisingly heavy drum and bass. You've got, you know, sort of classic breaks in it and then all the wonderful touches of Overlook and then Karim Moss with it and it's just such a wonderful collaboration and it feels like a meeting of the minds having listened to a fair amount from both of these artists to put it mildly uh and i it was just immediately like i got this very very early in the year i think it came out in march and was just uh very very impressed so you know whatever we've, we've i've said a lot about overlook on the show so again i'm not gonna believe like overlook i'm not gonna believe it it's just so wonderful again to just be like hit after hit like i'm just gonna keep buying them you keep making them this good so this is heart of darkness and uh i the one thing i will say is that i made a mix cd uh called death mask or something like that of drum and bass and kind of related stuff for a couple people and I got to put this and then Find Your Darkness by Tekich, or maybe it was the other way around, but they're very nice back-to-back and sort of, you know, very similar style titles. That was fun for me. But yeah, Heart of Darkness. So for you, what, what, what's more to your bag? This kind of thing or Overlook or the Karim Moss-Steve collaboration? Uh, I mean, Overlook's a little bit more in my bag because it's a little bit, uh, I guess, a little bit more dreary. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I, I like this stuff for, like, driving, fast-paced video sure. games. Snorting Coke. Snorting Coke. Um, but, uh overlooks more like something that like i will just 
do listen, other things. Yeah. 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 It's a yeah. little bit more ambiance for me. Yeah, well, there's definitely, I think, a more interesting overall character. It feels less like a necessarily just the club kind of a thing yeah. or, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny because I'm, you know, I just talked about Give Me Four Different Breaks. This this is a song where it's basically just one break, but there's filtering and chopping of it and stuff like that to keep it more interesting. But it's still basically just kind of a classic roller. Uh, I, th- I guess maybe it's the A-side that does more break switcheroos but it it for me it's you know the first records i ever bought were techage 12 inches from penetration back in the early 2000s and this seems like this could have fit right alongside that especially like 2004 or 5 era penetration records like this this is which you know is kind of good and bad i do like artists that keep moving on and that's one of those things that overlook has done like so far none of his 12 inches post 2017 have sounded the same but, uh, on the, you know, on the other hand, not many people make music like this, like Tekich's old style. So sometimes yeah. it takes the person to just come back and do it again. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, I, you know, maybe on an objective scale, is this the best record? One of the best records of 2012? No, but for my personal taste and of what year? Uh, what did I say? 2010? You said 2012. Oh, yeah. I got my numbers. I got dyslexia in the brain. Uh, of 2021, for me, it was a personal highlight. And I, I not to curse ourselves by claiming to do episodes soon that we'll don't never even, do. Don't even, don't. Yeah, don't even, no. Okay. Fair because enough. every episode we've ever mentioned, we still haven't done. That's not true. We did do Shinya Sukamoto. It just took us a long time. Uh, where's our H.P. Lovecraft episode? Where's Where's our Mothman episode, Beardo? I don't bring it up. I don't bring it up. Lovecraft is a doomed endeavor, and the Mothman, that's that's at your doorstep. Yeah, it's just... Or Bug it's Zapper. A, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of research to put together. I know. We'll get to it. I know. I'm excited about these last three. So, I talked about this very briefly uh, when we first did our kind of comeback episode. Shackleton's new album is phenomenal. It is called Departing Like Rivers, and I I, I was going to review it, and then I said, you know what, I'm just going to hold out because it's going to be on the year-end list, so here we are. I have followed Shackleton since he started, and it's been crazy to see the sort of twists and turns of his styles, but this is easily, for me, since the three EPs album... Yeah, no, I think it's fair to say... This is my favorite thing he's done. I love, especially anything he does with uh, Vengeance Tenfold, is always, there's like a certain kind of corniness to some of his lyrics and vocal stylings, but I really like it. It reminds me of old drum and bass and jungle in some ways and reminds me of the years when I used to do graffiti and all this. It's like graffiti music for the modern era, but a little bit more mushroom and acid flavored. But this album... That's how my graffiti years were, man. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. I did most of my graffiti before I started doing drugs, because once I did, it was like, ah, got other things to do. But... Quick, quick, quick graffiti story. Uh, There's a guy that we used to run with who was originally Canadian, and Mm -hmm. he's, like, he's got, like, this whole, like, weed business now. He's doing really well for himself, but one of the best, like, personally known to me graffiti artists I ever met. And we, like, smoked a bunch of weed, drank a bunch... And he's like, yo, let's go out and paint. And we were like, fuck yeah. And it was like January, right? So we go out to this like abandoned like uh, elementary school that was 
not repurposed yet um with like whatever paint we could find and uh i do my outlines i start doing my fills and i'm like i can't feel my hand why is my hand so fucking cold like i know it's cold out but like my hand shouldn't be that cold didn't realize the entire time i'm doing this huge fill because it's like we're like in the back of the building we each got our own wall like full place to do it Yeah, yeah 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 fucking Cam's been spraying this whole time on the back on back onto my hand too, so I'm just covered and sticky and yeah. cold, man. Yeah, I miss it, but my knees don't. Yeah, my uh, one of the last times I went out was with one of our mutual friends, and this was back in the day when you had to like we would bring the Walkman and then just turn the volume up on the headphones, like that was our boombox, and uh, and so we were listening to some kind of it's like I'm IDM. This artist F. F- FSV, FVZ, something like that, from AI Records. I don't even know how I can remember this shit. Oh, it was before I did drugs. That's right. <laughs> and uh, we were we were doing stuff, and uh, or maybe I was doing a little bit at this point. But anyways, at one point he kicked a beehive, like or a hornet's nest that was on the ground that we didn't see, and so we were like having a ball, and then the hornets came, and we had to just like I remember picking up that CD player and just running down the train tracks because we were like right on the on the train tracks when we were doing it, and um, we came back to finish a few days later, and they had I don't know if they had like put up a camera, but they they had definitely figured out that we had done it, and then made it much more hard to complete, and we we're like eh, maybe we'll just not go where the bees are, but anyway, Shackleton graffiti. It's actually a very pertinent conversation, I think, given the art of Zeke Klo and all that kind of stuff that goes with it that definitely bleeds over into that street art type stuff. But, you know, he, since, um, God, what was it? The, the Drawbar Organ album, which was, again, a collection of EPs, his, his material has really just become like these kind of multi-song but single album you know it's like multiple suites but you really have to listen to all at once kind of shit Mm -hmm. which is tough it can be a big ask you know especially the busier and older we get this is one of those albums though where it doesn't feel like i'm listening to a lot of good shit but kind of waiting for some highlights and i never dislike it like he's he's great music for walking the dog too because it's just like you get really in this heady space and you know see some outside and all that but this fucking thing is murky and the first song pulled me in so hard immediately i listened to it for the first time on my honeymoon which was not necessarily the right headspace uh or place for it but i was on the getting headspace right you ain't wrong you ain't wrong but uh you know i'm sitting on the beach in costa rica and the rain clouds were starting to come in so it was kind of matching the vibe (coughs) there's a wet tropical jungle murk to the whole thing as there is with a lot of his music but this one really pushes it harder and I will say that I had a, a post-coital listening session and I got to the end of the album and just started having a fucking acid flashback, which I so rarely get anymore. It was such a delight. I was laying, <laughs> laying in the bed and just listening to it and I was like, oh, I fucking feel faded. And it was just like, you know, the, the walls start to drip and that kind of yeah. shit. And it was already like everything's wet and humid, you know, and uh, it was it was wonderful. So that was... My first two listens were pretty much, okay, again, another one of those, first song was like 10 minutes long, and by the end of it, I was like, album of the year material, no question. I always like Shackleton, but this is this is like, woof. So I'm going to play a little bit of this first song. I'm, I'm going to play towards the end of it, though, because the whole thing's very good, but it does some weird shit at the end that triggered 
some flashbacks mm -hmm. and you know so No, <laughs> don't eat that poop. It looks like chocolate. Am I on drugs? You showed this to me when you got back. I know. I liked it then and I like it now. The cool thing about... This is like sitting alone in a room in the dark music. Yes, absolutely. And the, the nice thing about it is that, you know, if you've done a lot of psychedelics or you've done some, at least for me... There's a lot of music that claims to be psychedelic, but isn't what I would want to listen to on psychedelics. Correct. And a lot of times, the way that they do that is in part by making the music like wildly busy and overly stimulating in a way that if you were tripping, you'd be like, I do not want to listen to something like this. And I find that the most psychedelic music really is stuff that is much more economical with its elements. Boris's Feedbacker is such a lovely album in part because it's one band playing a single song, but it's just a band's worth of instruments, like what they can play at one time. And then on top of it, the whole way that they build this momentum for 15 minutes that literally is like better than sex when it fucking peaks. And then if you're on the drugs, <laughs> well, that's a different day. Uh, <laughs> Shackleton is... I mean, I, I don't even think I'd describe it when we started talking about it. Like, you know, it's this... You could call it post-dubstep, but that means nothing. It's like, everything's post-classical, you know? What does that mean? 
I but it everything's is, post honky tonk. Yeah, I mean, it's like I've heard the terms progressive tribal or ambient tribal or progressive dub or experimental dub or progressive electronic, and any of those things kind of give you uh, a taste. And as I think I've said before on the show, everything after three EPs in my book, and even really that album, I just refer to as Shackleton. Yeah, that's, that's the genre you have in your iTunes is just Shackleton because there is nothing else that sounds like this and. He has built his own world with its own rules. And I mean, the sounds of that are just so perfectly produced. Like it's not too brittle. It's not too bassy. It doesn't sound too synthetic. It feels just like a living organism that you're listening to. And it does tons of that. A, that sort of helicoptering stereo swooping type of a thing where stuff comes around you. And then also playing sounds and then having the decay also like change pitch and tune. So the it's all just like this melting, warping, the best kind of like trippy animation style. It's acid music that I would actually listen to on acid. My friends would be like, please don't make us listen to Shackleton again. And I'd be like, well, if you want to take the acid, you know, where you're trapped in the car with me. <laughs> but, uh. Oh, there's a scary thought. You behind the wheel on LSD. No, no, we wouldn't be driving. We'd just be sitting hotboxing in the driveway. But, yeah, it's, uh, it, I'm very... I don't know how we're not in prison. Yeah, I, uh, I, I would probably say, for me, this is my album of the year. I, I, I will say that. This is my favorite album of the year. I was just, like, I really like Shackleton, but this blew me away. Wow. Yeah. It's it's fucking amazing, and the vinyl sounds incredible. It are, it's already been repressed once. Buy this. If you buy anything, buy this album. This is very good. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a little bit more of a snack in comparison. Um, this is my second to last thing. This is the Link Up EP by Tribal Brothers and DJ Polo, and this is a Livity Sound 12-inch. I... Uh, I, I heard the fr- I kept hearing the first track on the big Spotify playlist they have that's like everything on the label and I was like this is very good this is very good I should buy it. this is very good and then when I bought a shitload of records from Hardwax I was like this is very good I'm gonna buy this <laughs> and the first track is is so fun and and wonderful and the the second and the third they're good too but it turns out that the last track is the real sneaky son of a bitch and by the time I actually had my physical copy. It was just like, I'll just put the needle right to the end there. That would be appropriate. Uh, it's called The Problem. It's anything but. It's it's UK based or whatever that means. It's also, uh, fuck, I think it's this South African club music. There's some special fancy uh, geographic specific. Maybe it's gone in. I don't know. I'm not. I, I can only do so much. Uh, with these club music genres, especially when they're anything, you know, I, I don't know, whatever. It's really good percussion oriented and, you know, percussion bass oriented type club music. And it's, it's like real funky, funky stuff. I really, I really like it. And I, I got this at the same time as Shackleton. So it was so nice. It was like, okay, I'm having a fucking mental breakdown, ego death on Shackleton. And I was like, I'm going to need a little pick me up. So here we are. <laughs> Thank you. 
As somebody who loves, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny to say, but you know, Chemical Brothers one of one of the, one of the uh, instrumental big electronic groups to get me into electronic music in a bigger way, and especially their their in their first three albums and the EPs that came with that, they had like this real you know you you had the, your block rock and beats and all that, but a lot of this like really rhythm oriented like beat oriented type stuff and they also did these uh electronic battle weapon series and this kind of reminds me of that where it's just it's not that they were as twitchy but just like a lot of like let's focus on the rhythm kind of shit like mm -hmm. fucking weapons right and and then it also uh reminds me a little bit of all the type of idm i like especially where again it's a focus on just like blasted percussive elements and this is way more uh for as percussive oriented as it is it's not it's not like a brittleness or a harshness to it uh there's all this rounded edges sort of in a dubstepy kind of a way but every little thing is constantly getting changed up in the song and it's but it, it stays like so funky and you're just like yeah i want to mm. dance yeah mm. i want to do a little drug <laughs> i think i'm just a drug addict though but <laughs> maybe <laughs> Dick well, Fetty, a maybe. Of, a lot of dance music on this on this though, and I was sharing about it the other night, like, you know, I mean what can I say? Like doing drugs and dancing, I mean those two things go together. It feels good. <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> it's a good I'm not a doctor. But it's good for your health. So <laughs> to end it out, uh this is a, a post two thousand one pickup or two thousand twenty one rather. And a wildly indulgent purchase, which is your fault. I just needed somebody to push me over the edge. And uh, this is the Tresser 30 box set compilation. And I would not normally put even a compilation on the list, but this fucking thing... I, so I started listening to it while I was playing Demon Souls right after Christmas, and I thought to myself, there's no way that an album with 52 songs on it could be good for that long. And goddamn, if I would say 45 of these songs are any of them, I would buy on a 12 inch and then the rest of them are nice. They're just probably more like the ambient pieces, which are mm -hmm. a good way to round out the sets. But the compilation is so expertly sequenced. It's so wonderful because they mix all of these current uh, artists and They've got new tracks from new artists. They've got new tracks from old artists. They've got old tracks from old artists. They've got it all mixed together. And it goes from like brutal modern electro to like banging fucking UK techno type stuff into uh, more German aquatic. You've got your basic channel and Porter Ricks is in there. And then, and then you move into like classic Detroit electro stuff with Drexia and DJ Stingray and all these things influenced by that. Then there's like a little funky progressive IDM 
I don't even know what to call it section. Donata Dazi shows up and he fucking drops a bomb. And then the track I'm going to talk about in a second by Varico, who's from Medellin and Colombia, not the cartel, but the city. And, uh, and then a bunch of other shit after. And I, I was just like, it's like five and a half hours of music. I think it's like almost six hours. And I'm, I just listened to the entire thing in one sitting. And, and you're thought, mad at me for telling you to buy it. Right. And so I was just like, but like, holy shit. <laughs> like I just was very surprised by how consistently good. I mean, it starts with a remix by underground resistance or maybe the most famous techno group of all time. And I thought they're really going to have a modern artist remix this guy, you know, remix underground resistance. But I do a little research and it's like, oh, he's a guy who's been tutelaged under Underground Resistance and then delivers a fucking fire remix. And I'm like, this is this is this is how you do it. This is in fact a wonderful way to celebrate thirty years as one of the most important and long standing techno institutions in the world. And on top of that, the box set is fucking gorgeous. It's this ultra minimal design and it's so cool be- no, you're not touching that with your filthy fingers. Are you fucking serious? I'll, of course, give it to you when we put the monster track on, but it comes with a booklet that has a sort of mini bio for every artist, and it's in part it highlights intentionally the diversity of both gender, race, uh, you know, for some people like they're queer or alternative identities and all this kind of stuff, and it's really inspiring to see in a world where you know a lot of the genres of music I listen to are dominated by like one ethnic group or, you know, one type of person or whatever, like techno and electronic music is, is so, there's just such a rich amount of experience that goes into it. I mean, it's a traditionally black music. It came out of Detroit by a bunch of black DJs and producers and stuff. And, and then there's the Berlin hookup, which is Tresser. And it was just really cool. Like it was, you know, liner notes I always appreciate, but these were like, wow, this is, this really, from the care with which it was written to the interesting aspects of it, and I'm like, most of these people, I'm like, wow, they're, oh yeah, they started like 14 different types of rave parties and Path 3 label, and, or, or it'll be like something much, you know, less achievements, but just equally impressive. And yeah, the, the entirety of the affair is, is just inspiring and like a little bit of hope, you know, in a certain kind of way. For me, it was like a like a truly sort of hopeful thing. Dick of like, Fetty, are you crying? No, obviously not. But weeping like a woman. Yeah, it was uh, canceled, and <laughs> uh, your gender politics don't play here. But yeah, I uh, fuck you. I was just like, I felt a little guilty about spending as much money as I did, but then when I got it, it was just as nice as what I paid for it, and the music is fucking top tier. Surprised how quickly you got it. Yeah, it, I ordered it on a Friday. It came on Monday. It was insane. That was just happy news for me. But this this track is called Umbral de Dolor, uh, or de Dolor, I don't know, I don't speak Spanish, but by Varaco. And this is one of the more IDM songs rather than the straight techno, but this, this fucking thing. I, I heard this and was like, if I heard this when I was in high school, I'd be like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> and I heard it at 34 and I was like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. It was, it was not something that took me 20 years to appreciate. I would have loved this at 14.
saw the box, you heard the song. Was it worth it? Yeah. You monster. I'm the monster. Yeah. You would have been so mad like a year from now. I, I don't disagree. 12, 12 inches. You had the money. <laughs> I had the money, and for the cost of 12, 12 inches to buy them individually for other records. I mean, that was the thing. It was like I was looking at buying four albums for half the price and about less than half the amount of vinyl. Not that, you know, obviously the literal weight is what's important for shipping, but it was like, okay, well, as you said, you could buy these anytime or you can miss the super expensive box set and then be pissed later. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's all, that's all true. So here we are. And it's the reason I don't have the new Regis album yet physically, but with the sleep, I sleep archive album. I forgot to talk about, but <sighs> it was, it was, it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful compilation. I actually even wrote a real review and posted it online, which I rarely do for music because I feel like people should just try to go in as unbiased as possible. But here you are like an idiot listening to a music podcast. <laughs> but. Gotcha. So. We're a music podcast? Uh, retraction. Are you trying to push me retraction. out? Retraction. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that, I mean, th those were. I, I felt like I had to scrounge at first to come up with 10 things for 2021, but it, it started to come together by 2022. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there was so much other good stuff that I didn't hear. Like, a, you know, people have been wildly productive in the pandemic and shit, tons of things have just been delayed for a year, two years or more, especially with the vinyl problems and all the rest of that. But, uh, you know, I still heard a lot of good stuff, even if I missed a lot more. And I'm sure, you know, over the course of the next year, I'll be talking about the 2021 releases I pick up in 2022. So, let's close that disco box. So, before I go into... A sleepy coma from listening to me bullshit for an hour? Shut your fucking mouth. Let me talk for once. Um... <laughs> No, before I go into the whole video game thing, there was a couple things I wanted to bring up um, from 2021 that I loved, but like I don't really know where on the podcast to talk about it. Uh, one is uh, Demon's, the Demon Slayer Mugen Train movie, Okay. which some of the best animation and anime I've ever seen. I know like Shonen stuff is not everyone's cup of tea. I really, really like Demon Slayer. And it's not, it's one of those things where, like, the the, the shonen I watch nowadays, it, all shonen is ostensibly the same, for the most part. It's main character, gets powered up through the series, and blah, 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 and there's all these tropes, and that's that's all fine and good, but... It's, basi it's basically always a hero's journey. Yeah. If you write a shonen that has, like, really good characters... I will care about it. Like, I tried Jujutsu Kaisen. I might try again. I might just try reading it. But I found it kind of boring, all things considered. But... Not so with Demon Slayer. De well, Demon Slayer is just absolutely gorgeous. And the directing in it. Like, there's a there's an episode in the... I think it's technically the second arc. Because there's, like, certain arcs that will only be, like, three episodes. But, like, those episodes were focused on, like, one thing. Where they're in, like, this abandoned house and the main character is fighting this demon but the demon's ability is to change gravity in the room so like instead of the gravity being towards the floor it'd be towards a wall or towards the ceiling 
So, like, the camera movements in that, it's just, it's unimaginable. But the Mugen Train movie is the just... The highest grossing film of 2021 anywhere in the world. Is it anywhere in the world? I thought it was just it was, Japan. No, no, no. The world. It was the first time ever a Japanese movie was the highest grossing movie, and the first time ever a Japanese animated movie was the highest grossing movie. Yeah. It, it broke, like... All the things. And it is it is really that good. And it's one of those things where, you know, if you watch a lot of anime, especially shonen anime, they'll put out these movies. And I know I've said it to you. I've probably never said it on the podcast. The only anime movie, like anime series movie tie-in I ever truly liked was the Cowboy Bebop one. That's because not true. You love the first Dragon Ball Z movie. You're so into it. I'm just kidding. I like it's some, a fun, no, it's I a like fun some of them, yeah. but like the, the Cowboy Bebop one is... It, it just works because, for the most part, the Cowboy Bebop's overarching story, there isn't really much of one other than Spike has a past. Yeah. And, like, yeah, you learn some stuff about the characters and stuff, but for the most part, it's almost like a Monster by the Week show where it's like, okay, this is the bounty they have on this episode. This is the bounty they have on this episode. So, it that movie, m- m- like, fell into the canon of Cowboy Bebop very well. But a lot of, you know, anime movies, shown in anime movies, will just be like, hey, we're going to go out and have these this adventure and we'll never see any of these characters ever again. It's right. not going to impact the story in any way. Yeah, like just to keep interest in the series while they're doing yeah. the next big uh, season. Yeah, which is like something that's kind of fallen by the wayside now, outside of like my hero stuff. But I still love the main series for my hero, but that's a whole nother thing. Um, but this, the Mugen Train, is part of the manga. It is full canon, so they... It's magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> they, they, it's part of the storyline. And they still did... I haven't watched the, the TV versions of them yet, because sure. they did put out, um, you know... Yeah, a few episodes when uh, season two started, and uh, something I really like. Total side note is that the actual first episode of the new arc, which is the Entertainment District arc, is forty-five minutes long. Oh, wonderful! And I was like, "Ah, nice!" But it's it's absolutely gorgeous, and it's one of those series where like I just love the characters. So the trophy stuff, I'm like, "Yeah, okay." Yeah, sure, I can call this stuff, but I love seeing these characters interact and do their things and everything, and, you know, it's, I think that's why I had such a problem with uh, Jujutsu Kaijin, because first episode, I was like, I just don't really care about these characters, it's sure. just another high school student, that's cool, I guess. Yeah, I, I I have mild interest in checking out Demon Slayer. I will say, I went to a Demon Slayer cosplay party that was also a housewarming party last summer. And I didn't take it seriously, uh, how serious the hosts were, or the one host was, about this aspect of it. And they were like, you have to watch it, you need to come in costume. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were at a different housewarming party right before that, Alexa and I. And we had to drive like two hours to get to their house. And so, we meant to, we even went to Hot Topic, but it was before they had Demon Slayer shirts in. Or maybe they did and I didn't know, because I... I'm wearing one, my wife got me. Yeah, I, I've never it's seen Ringoku. it. Rengoku. And so, yes, and that's her big thing. She now has a Rengoku tattoo, the host of the party. and But she has like professional cosplayer friends. I don't know any of this. I just knew one other couple that was going to be there. And we get there, and everyone was in like a decent amount of cosplay. I was like, ah, oh, they're like, you 
didn't dress for it. And I was like, I didn't know. It was so serious. Like, I don't know why you would think that because <laughs> we all dressed up for it. And I was just like, okay, well, clearly I fucked up big time. And, uh, yeah, anyways. Yeah, and it's pretty good because, like, uh, the main bad guy mm-hmm. is Japanese Michael Jackson. The way he dresses and everything. It's, okay. And, um, oof. I mean, like, they, they really played down a lot of the fan service throughout the series so far, but, mm, man. When the, they do do it? The, the, well, so, the the arc they're in, this is kind of getting off topic from the movie, but, because season two didn't start until, uh, I think January, so, but anyway, doesn't matter. But, oh, man, the, the, so, like, you know, there's, like, the levels of the demons, and they have this, like, thing, and there's this, the one leader guy who... It looks like Michael Jackson, but then he turns into a hot lady, and then he turns... It's it's all good. It's so good. But, oh, man. So they're in the entertainment district. You it. know what that means. Yeah. There's sex workers. Yeah. And uh, one of the, the female demon that's there hiding out. Oh, man. When she goes into demon mode... I'll, I'll show you a picture after the podcast, but, mm, man, I'm like... I was, talking, I was talking to my wife the other day. I was like, yeah, man... You know, we started watching this, and I was like, damn it, cosplayers, where are you at? Yeah. I need to see somebody in this. I know, there's no good Quaylag cosplay, you know? Where, where are my Dark, Dark Souls girls at? But They don't, They some of them probably don't look the way you want them to, Frank. Well, no. Because they're, they're, they're men our age. True, but I, what I mean to say is, you know, a lot of girls can't pull off the top half as a woman, the bottom half as a giant spider that spits lava, and I think that's upsetting, but... Well, you know what? Once our podcast is rich, we'll, we'll, we'll throw just get a big spider parties. and yeah. cut some girl in half. <laughs> Come here, bitch. <laughs> but uh, Mugen Train is is uh, watch Demon Slayer, man. It's it's, it's good. It's I won't, but it's just it's gorgeous. And yeah. you know that's that's one of the things I can say about a lot of like the really popular animes nowadays is that they are fucking gorgeous. Fucking gorgeous. JoJo is gorgeous. Uh, Attack on Titan. Ooh, man, you gotta get into that series. I know I've shown you some of it, but. Ryan and I are starting the, we're like a couple episodes into the last season. It's just like, Bleh! that's a whole other thing. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is an anime, or not an anime, a manga. The anime is going to be coming out this year, 2022. Oh, Beastars. No. <laughs> Beastars is already out. Is uh, Chainsaw Man. Mmm. It is, I just love it, man. I just, it's, the, the art is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. New Best Girl, oh God. I'm forgetting her name off the top of my head. I'm only like three volumes in, but I love it. But I can't remember her name, but she's... So it's this guy. The world is populated by these devils. And uh, there is an agency that is uh, devil slayers. They, they go out and they kill devils and stuff. And this guy is like this poor, broken down dude who somehow befriended a devil and it's this like cute little pink dog that has like a chainsaw coming out of its face and he got hired he's like a you know a pro not pro bono um per diem demon slayer for some like shady guy who's like kind of screwing or demon slayer devil slayer for this guy and uh he's kind of getting screwed by the guy but anyway he ends up almost getting killed well he ends up getting dismembered by a devil and his little his little dog as he's dying is like hey make a deal with you you took care of me so i'm gonna save your life and he like forms with him 
So now he's got this like ripcord that comes out of his chest that he can yank on, and he becomes a, a chainsaw devil, and it's fucking brutal. It's so bloody, and the main character is. I want to say pervert in like the old school anime sense, but he also kind of is like he he's not the he's not that type of anime character who's just gonna grab a girl, um, but he does love boobies. Sure, and that's fair. Yeah, and the he gets approached by the you know the police force that slays devils, and this chick man, what's her name? Is it Makima? Makima? Starts with them. But the intensity, sexuality, and gaslighting, she, she's a problematic character. And that's why I'm like, ooh, girl, please. Just, yeah. ooh, man. Best girl 2021. I swear to God. It's, yeah, I've seen the art. It's, it's insane. And I, I've seen the girl, and she's very, very attractive. And I'm sure written crazy like a crazy bitch. And that's hot, too. She just commands so much power. And everyone's got their dick hard for... Uh, Oh, uh, power, which is like the uh, devil girl that they they the they kind of have captured. That also does some of the slangs and stuff, and I I really like her, but the the one chick who actually runs the operations, like the captain or whatever, like she's wearing she's wearing like you know the button down with the with the tie, and oh man, and it's just so like. I think she calls him like little doggy or something, and it's just yeah. Step on me. <laughs> you take the words out of my oh mouth. Oh my god! You take the just words out of my mouth. Powerful woman. And yeah, it's... Japan knows how to fetishize everything. Like whatever version it is, it's the hot. What it, whether it's like the mom making lunch for her son and his friends who are about to gangbang her, or I'm not going to go down that road, or the Panzer girls, or the Mech girls, or the femme boys or the fuda or, or the human dismemberment yeah like any of it i'm like i've got a boner so thank you but yeah i highly highly recommend chainsaw man if you can pick up some of the volumes and read them volume one is super hard to come by but if you read manga you know that volume one of almost anything right now is incredibly hard to come by yeah. except like jojo somehow jojo's always in stock everywhere uh but it's really good. The second volume actually has a... I meant to send you a picture. Maybe I did. I don't think I did. Has a direct reference to Gyo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, you told me this. I don't yeah. think you sent me. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just a... It's, it's exactly one of the sharks from Gyo. Yeah. They just... They find dead. And it's, it's like Terrible. a devil that they're looking for for the overarching story, which I won't go into. But, man, it is good. It's pretty simplistic but it's also i don't know it's just it almost feels like it scratches like an older anime itch for me yeah well and style goes a long way when when you're talking about a visual medium you know when things can make that kind of distinctive extra edge and i, I always get so excited when i see like a a little reference to like another manga or anime um in my hero and that i know they changed it for the anime but in in the manga uh and in my hair, they have this, like, you know, the, the rule of the silhouette. You know what that is? So if our listeners don't know, is that you make such a distinct character and character design that people can tell who they are just by their silhouette. Like Yu-Gi-Oh. Like Yu-Gi-Oh or Mickey Mouse or, you know, whatever. 
but... Who's that Pokemon? <laughs> it's Clefairy! It's Pikachu! Fuck! <laughs> so, um... There, there's a there's a panel in the My Hero manga where they're looking out over all the heroes and the the gentleman who does My Hero is very very good at doing the uh, you know silhouette rule and sure every character in every panel looks different completely different not even like slightly different yeah and in one of the panels uh, Chainsaw Man's in there full chainsaw mode but in the uh, in the anime obviously due to you know copywriting reasons because now the studio owns that anime likeness sure they couldn't put it in and they had to change it but i just love little mouths like that yeah but that's that's just a couple things i wanted to touch on before we got into the video games now i didn't get to play all that much this year like i didn't get to play hitman 3 but you and i got to play some of the other hitmans because i got them for real cheap that was fun but those didn't come out in 2021 I already talked about Control. The uh, PS5 version came out uh, this year, which was absolutely great. Uh, and we're already in March for <laughs> games that I uh, have played this year. I mean, they're, like I, I, I haven't even played It Takes Two, which I think won Game of the Year this year. But um, I did play Disco Elysium, The Final Cut. That game's fucking great. It's... Probably the closest I've gotten to play a tabletop RPG in a video game ever. The original came out, what, 2020? And this was the... 2020, 2019. Yeah, okay. But uh, it was one of those games that I was like always looking forward to. And they did the, you know, the um, port for it. And I got it for PlayStation. And I haven't played all the way through yet because it is... It's not an action-packed game, which is fine, but it is a lot of dialogue, and it is completely unbelievable how they got... There's... I, I can't remember the exact number, but there's an obscene amount of voice lines that they had to record for it. Yeah, well, that's like... You've never played the, the Divinity games, and I've never completed a Divinity game for different reasons, but... Those games have so much fucking dialogue, and the conversation trees, they're really of that classic PRPG or PCRPG style of Baldur's Gate or Planescape Torment, where it's just like 10 novels smashed, like 10 Neil Stevenson novels, you know what I mean? Just thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of branching dialogue trees. It's insane. Yeah, I definitely think it's 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 a game that part of the reason I, I stopped playing it since the part I got to. And there's like, you know, a bunch of different storylines you can go through and everything, but it's one of those games like I really want to play with you and then mm. because like the whole base of the game is like kinda of like a cyberpunk noir mystery thing. You're a fucking alcoholic detective and you wake up and you're not sure what's going on and you gotta try to solve this murder. But somehow I got down this like dialogue tree that had me fucking cracking up on my couch and my wife was like what is wrong with you and i was like a fucking dick carousel and it's just like you talk to this at, at the like cd motel hotel you wake up at you go downstairs and essentially the bartender slash manager of the place doesn't like you because you were a drunken idiot and you're pulling out your gun the night previous when you blacked out and everything and you end up getting information and like calling his 
ex-girlfriend. And then uh, you go to talk to him again, and you're just like, hey, man, sorry to tell you, but your girl's cheating on you. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? And you're like, yeah, you know, like, you know, some women, they're just, they just can't help but ride the cock carousel. And he's like, what do you, and you just, you have the option to just keep beating that, that Dick di- yeah, into the ground. Yeah. And it's so funny and so well written. And all of like your, um, attributes and stuff that you can put skill points into are like the ego, the id, and it's all like psychological stuff. And it's really well made. The art style is like painted almost like kind of watercolory. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. I, it's a game I was definitely interested in since it was announced and it it wasn't even like, Oh, everybody likes it. So I'm not going to play it, but it's more of, you know, I rarely play story focused games and more about, uh, combat loops. But I am interested. It's just one of the ones I'm going to file of when I retire or, you know, break my spine or something, I'll play. Or we could just play it together on occasion. Yeah. It'll take us 20 years to beat, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, we only have Silent Hill. Or... Oh, yeah, Silent Hill. We were playing that, huh? Resident Evil. Yeah. The only game we could ever beat together was Until Dawn, Man from Medan, and Clock Tart. Super <laughs> NES. <laughs> There's just too many movies for us to watch, Dick Fetty. It's true, it's true. Uh, Who am I going to watch my pornos with? <laughs> me, bud. I know. So Together. It forever. Dick in hand. Yeah. Hand in dick. I don't say this right. You know what, never mind. Go on. Uh, mention of near replicant version 1.2247448739. I don't want to say I... I, li- I I liked Automata. I played it recently. Didn't feel like playing a second or third playthrough. Right. So I stopped at the first one for now. I played a little bit of Replicant, and it's definitely... You can tell it's definitely just an older game reskinned. Um, but I didn't... Automata gets, like... You get right in there. That opening shot and the opening fight and everything is just so big and glorious. The music and everything, and... Uh, I wasn't personally feeling Replicant, although I know a lot of people love it. It wasn't my thing. I got, like, maybe a few hours into it and then put it down. That brings us to one of my favorite PS5 games, because uh, Dick Fetty and I are better than a lot of people, and we both own a PS5. It's true. It's true. It is Returnal. Mm. And I, I had mentioned it's last week... what you week, do when you go to Target, <laughs> and you have an item you didn't want to keep excuse me sir i'd like to return all this <laughs> this is the joke police this is a bad <laughs> joke sorry sorry father i've said so returnal is definitely the game that was made for the ps5 oh, like yeah. out of any other game that's come out is the game that was made for the ps5 it it completely fully integrates everything that the ps5 can do from, you know, the frame rate to uh, ray tracing, the haptics in the controller, because in the first biome it's raining, so you it feels like there's raindrops hitting your controller. Uh, the 3D audio, playing that game, and I mean, I do have surround sound, but playing that game on, like, a headset that's capable of 3D audio is just fucking choice. There's these, quick example of that, there's this, uh, in the first... I guess they're in all the biomes. 
But in the first one, which is the one I've spent the most time on, <laughs> so I haven't beaten it yet, um, there's these, like, gates that have, like, a chest behind them. And when you aim your gun, the switch, it, it's always hidden somewhere. It will start to blink. So, like, you have a visual cue, so you're, like, looking for light bouncing off to see if you can see it. But you can also hear it. So, like, I can turn the character this way. And it's like, okay, I hear it to the left of me. I turn left. Oh, I hear it behind me and above me. Um, it really works to that. Very much so. Uh, I was talking to Dick Fetty the other night. I finally beat the first boss. And, of course, it's one of those things, like, you have all this trouble on a boss, and then you finally beat it. And that run of the boss, you absolutely decimated it and took, like, almost no damage. Like, I got a healing item and all that, like, did all this other preparatory stuff just so I could have another go at it before having to go through it again. But it is a rogue light? Like? Like. like. Uh, there are some permanent upgrades, but it's not like... I'd say those upgrades are a lot less than, like, certain other games, like, um... Hades. Hades, yeah. But it is gorgeous. The art style is awesome. The way they really, really, really work in the rogue-esque-ness of it into the storyline is done really well. I... The, the, the art style is just great. All the monsters look like Cthulhu monsters... Like, Lovecraft Monsters, which is great. Yeah, I mean, I played it at your house for 30 minutes, and I was... It It was, you know, it's one of those games. Like you said, it's a PS5 game. Like, it feels like I'm playing this on the most current gen, and the haptics are insane. The whole, like, trigger release system they have for the triggers now is super cool, and... And it's just basically, like, do you like Alien, and do you like Metroid? Which is already Metroid, but... It's a very much a 2021 take on, you know, what if Metroid played like a roguelike in the best way possible? Yes, I fully agree. And, and well, that's kind of it. And then we, you know, we've got a lot of H.R. Geiger, Cthulhu type shit going on with our visual monster design and who the fuck doesn't like that, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. Really, really fucking good. I feel like a lot of people talked about it when it came out, and then it kind of disappeared. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a because of the nature of that style of game. Like, you know, it's harder to get people. Uh, I think it's harder to have a long conversation about it. But. Yeah, I don't even remember if it was mentioned at the Game of Year Awards. I just because uh, a mutual buddy of ours uh, sent me a text after I got off work one night, he's like, oh, did you see the trailer for the new Alan Wake? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And he sent me it, and I was like, oh, the game rewards are on. So I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll put this on for background noise. And I don't even I don't even know if it was mentioned in it. It probably was, but it didn't win any of a... I don't think it won anything, which honestly blows my mind, because the last, like, mainstay game that this company made, uh, House, House Marquee, Marquee? House Marquee, I think is the name. Um, was uh, essentially like a an 8-bit game. And they went from that to doing this game that's like totally focused on movement in a 3D world. It's, you know, it, it just goes to show like what like, you know, game designers can do from going one thing to another. Sure. And I highly, highly recommend it. 
I don't know if it's my favorite game I played in 2021, but I do love it. Uh, and that brings us to what might be my favorite game of 2021, which I think I've talked about it. Well, I'm, I know I've talked about the series on the podcast because I love Resident Evil. I really, oh, really, really do. I know. Hmm. Big surprise. No, I, I am surprised. I wouldn't think this would fall so high on the list. I'm going by in order of release. Yeah, no, I get that. But even still, you're saying you think it might be your game of the year. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I didn't really play that much. That's not sure. a lot came out. There's like a lot of re-releases and stuff, which, sure. you know, fucking couple of them I, I covered are already re-releases. But I, I loved it. And I've done a second playthrough of it. I mean, listen, if Last of Us 2 came out in 2021, that would have been my game of 2021. But sure. it was my game of 2020. Um, but I, I fucking, like, I'm not, I'm not the biggest purist when it comes to Resident Evil. Sure. I, uh. And what does that really mean in, in a world as convoluted as the Resident Evil world? Yeah. But I hear you. Um, I only recently finished four, which, uh, maybe it's because I'm not looking at nostalgia glasses because I didn't play it when it came out, but, um. My dick wasn't as hard for that game. I'm I'm hoping so. Like I, the game was a lot of fun and everything. I I I loved it, but like, man, the camera in that game made me feel like I wanted to vomit. In Resident Evil Four, it was it's so tied up on you. And, and not even just that, but you can't move it. Like you can flick the camera off left or right, but as soon as you let go of your right stick, it flicks right back to the oh, forward. I played on a computer like a human instead of an animal. Shut the fuck up. Not every one of us can afford a PC right now. Yeah, that can run a 20-year-old game. Yeah. I, shut up. <laughs> but um, Village is a continuation of uh, the game that really got me back into the series, which was 7. And I I love 7. The things I love about 7 aren't really in 8. Because 7 was super horror-based and very claustrophobic and went in a super different direction. Um, I don't agree completely with all of the decisions that Capcom made to, you know, fucking... They, they were like, oh, you know, people told us the last one was too scary, so we wanted to make this one less scary. And it's like, shut up, shut up, Capcom. What are, you, what are you talking about? No, Nobody told you that. Who told you that? Nobody told you that. Shut yeah. up. But I, I really loved it. I, my only real gripe with it is that I wish it were longer. I wish that the, cause like the whole game is broken up into, you know, the four areas of the main bad guys. And I wish you got to spend more time in those areas because it's just like each of those areas could have been a full Resident Evil game. And obviously they're not going to do that. Um, and there is that trope I do love about Resident Evil where, like, you're stuck in one place for the most part, outside of, like, the later games. But, like, the first three, for the most part, you're stuck in one place. Yeah. And you have to get very familiar. Um, and I, I mean, my favorite, my favorite ones of the series is probably the remake of 2. Because uh, that game is gorgeous. And it plays really, really nice. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you learn... It's almost like a Metroidvania. Like, you get so... 
Uh, used to the area. Yeah, you know it, like the back of your hand, so like you can run in, you know like optimal pass and everything. And they're games that are built for speedrunning almost, because yeah. you do get rewards for beating the games quicker, like, you know, uh, certain items and stuff, or more points or whatever. This one works on a point system instead of just unlocking certain things, like in 7. But I loved it, and I thought it was a really nice way to continue the Ethan Winter story. I know a lot of people hate on Ethan Winters because he's Mr. Dumb Guy Everyman. Sure. But that kind of, like, especially if, like, you look at the, like, the later games, like, 5 and 6, you know, even 4, where it's just, like, you know, super, super international bio-weapon hunters where fucking Chris Redfield is punching boulders and shit, you know. Mm. They get into the real ridiculous shit. It was nice, once again, to have someone look at, like, something that's off-the-wall, insane, horrifying, and go, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, I think that the the thing that's sort of unique about all the Resident Evil games is, like, while they have, you know, the trappings of horror, they rarely reach that level. Especially, I would say that when the original games came out, they had it because... There was the claustrophobia of the single environments and things mm-hmm. like that, and then plus the extreme difficulty of moving your characters around and trying to get them to not die. Fixed camera angle. Yeah, and all those kinds of things, which, I mean, you know, you play it today and you're like, okay, this is an antiquated way to do things. As a kid, it was fine. Like, it was what we had. But as things have gone on, and even the original dubs are quite silly, but... There, there was a seriousness, even when it was, like, campy, and part of that was based on, like, the way that game mechanics had to make things more silly than they would have been. Like, I've got a grenade launcher, but I can only open a door if I have a spade key. Like, yeah. what the fuck is this? But, all that being said, as it became more sort of anime or whatever, it's like, this is a fun camp thing in a horror world rather than, like, a real horror story. And I I think it goes to, there are very few real horror stories told, that are told effectively, if even told at all. I mean, there's a lot of jump scare games, but those aren't stories. Uh, You know, Amnesia's one of the few where it's... Like, it's a true horror story, and it's a terrifying game to play. And parts of it, you know, when you can psychologically, like, walk yourself out of the fear of and, and kind of focus on the way the game mechanics work, it can take out some of that. But there aren't many games that do that. And it's it's was, to my surprise, that Resident Evil 7 had, like, legitimately tense moments in that first playthrough. You know, especially when you're first getting chased down the hallways of the house by the old man, and you're just, like, unarmed and terrified. Dude, when you first get into the house, very beginning of the game, oof, man. Yeah, big spooks. And, uh, And then, of course, but they lose it. Like, Capcom... I guess my point is, like, between the the language barriers and the game design things, it's... If you came into it hoping for a perfect horror experience it is not but if you want like a game that starts horror and then turns into a resident evil game it is well i mean my thing is like i think most video games are in it's inherently harder to be spooky because you're in control and like you said like yeah there's a lot of jump scare games i've played the outlast games as well and while they have like some like legitimately spooky stuff you know it's one of those things where Part of, part of the spookiness of the Outlast games is that you can't brandish a weapon. Yeah. And 7 did have that point where 
you're exploring the house and you've no idea what's going to be around any corner and there is true tension and dread even though you have a fucking grenade launcher. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah, Seven ended up devolving a bit because you run into the molded and you just see them again and again. And that was my biggest issue with Seven is the sameness of the enemies at that point because they're all just the molded and they're all like slightly different. They're not that much different, which... From a story beat, makes sense. Uh, eight village, I can definitely tell you, has a. I mean, like, there's really four or five different types of enemies, um, but I like the 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 writing of the characters, the the I guess the lords, the four lords was really good. The merchant that you run into, whose name is escaping me, the duke was really great. Um, Lady Delmaskew, Big Mommy Milkers. Yeah, man. That, whew. That and her, whole and her gothy storm. blonde daughters. Yeah, that meme storm was one of the best parts of the year. They weren't wrong, man. Yeah. They were not wrong. But um, I I just, I I loved it. And I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, for uh, you know, Resident Evil. It, it was missing one of my favorite Resident Evil tropes, which is... You're running around all the spooky stuff, and then all of a sudden, you're in this pristine, sterile lab. Sure. Which happens in like I, it, they didn't have it as much in seven, but like you do. You still get it at the end. Yeah. You get some lab stuff, and, and it's underground, as yeah. it has to be. And uh, yeah, whew, man, I seven was great, um, but uh, yeah, I I I really really liked eight. It it just felt good to play. Sure. Um, and it's one you can really, really push through. And there is one part of the game that is legitimately terrifying. And, you know, slight spoiler, you know, skip ahead a couple seconds if you want to hear it, but I guess part of the reason it's truly terrifying is because they take away your weapons, but the atmosphere of that one part and the way it's put forth is, like, one of the more scary things I've ever done in a game. And uh, it's really well done. Uh, I'm just, I, I just want them to, every time I beat a new Resident Evil, I'm like, okay, give daddy more. Daddy wants more. I want, I want, I want more. Um, you know, hopefully, I don't know if the rumors are going to pull through for a remake of 4 now that 4 is on VR. Maybe that was the remake everyone thought was going to be coming out. Who knows? But, um, yeah, Capcom, just keep giving me, uh, I'll just keep playing your Resident Evil games. It's fine. Sure. Yeah. I think you guys learned your lessons with uh, 5 and 6, so. Mm. But, uh, yeah, they're doing great. Well, they are the best-selling games in the series. Uh, 5 and 6? Yeah, 6 is the best-selling Resident Evil game of them all. Really? Yeah. I never played 6. Although, I think that's partially because there was some tie-in bundle-related stuff, so it sort of, like, artificially moved more copies, but yes. They were huge. (laughs) I mean, that's fair. Deathloop. Ah. I got bored. Sure. That's really all I have to say with it. It fucking won... It didn't win anything. Maybe it did. But, uh... It, uh... It, it got, like, 10 out of 10 IGN, which I, like... I'm always, like, real hesitant about, but... Um... I wanted it... I guess part of me wanted it to be more like Dishonored. Because, like, Dishonored had such a feel and felt so good to play, and... This just felt less 
I don't know. It just didn't do it for me. Well, I think like most things, the I mean, especially their first trailers for it made it look like, oh my god, I gotta play this game. But the problem is, is that when you make your game short but tight, it's it's tough because there isn't often a lot of there's not much to do once you've kind of perfected the loop. And so, you know, yeah, if you're not very good or you don't have a lot of time, like it might, you you know, maybe you're going to dump 20 hours trying to figure it out. But it doesn't seem to me to be the kind of game, like once you get a stride for it, it's like Returnal can be. Because I know one of our friends had Returnal. I think he beat it in a weekend. And uh, same stuff with games like Hades. Like, and you know, obviously some people are better at certain kinds of games. But it just seemed like the kind of thing that you could break open pretty easy and then it's like well this is it i've reached the peak because there are systems in it which are exploitable and aspects of the multiplayer component that are a real crapshoot and you know i love the idea and i like that they tried to do something different but it also it seemed from the outset like i would never spend 60 dollars on that because that looks like that's a 30 dollars worth of content you know yeah i mean another one of our friends beat death loop very very quickly and he was like, you never finish this? like a 15-hour game. I was like, I just, I'll probably finish it eventually. Yeah. Um, I, and that, and that's, that's the funny thing, because uh, Arcane Studios, like, Dishonored 1 and 2, especially 1, I have really loved the first Dishonored. Um, story's okay, doesn't matter. But the, the style of it, and how the game played, and how it really felt like there was more I could do, like, outside of being, like, a completely linear game. Like, I remember in Dishonored, there was a part where you could join this guy to do a thing for him, and then, like, uh, he was, like, the leader of, like, a street gang or something, and I did it for him, and then I murdered him and took all the stuff anyway. Um, and that, like, that was fun. That felt like a decision I decided to make. Obviously, it was the program of the game. We talked about, you know, this in Cyberpunk. Like, you can't truly make any decision you want in a video game that's an impossible task to program True. at least right now maybe ever but um well you can but it won't be narratively satisfying yeah you can only have it one way or the other and like i remember like everybody oh my god the people the the writing in death loop was so funny it's not that funny yeah it's not that funny it feels like it's trying to be very funny but it's not the dialogue isn't i don't know it didn't feel natural the gameplay's okay, you know, it, it, it just, it feels like, it feels like somebody took Dishonored and uh, Bioshock Infinite and tried to mash them together and made, like, a lesser game to yeah. me. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, well, those two games I feel like should be separate, but, you know. <laughs> okay, racist. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you could choose the stealth option or you could go in guns blazing. I never went in guns blazing. I got that nail gun, and I made sure I got it back on every loop, and I would just stand like a thousand feet away and shoot people in the head with nails. I just did everything stealth. Yeah. Because uh, it's, and it's funny too, because I didn't realize it had um, dynamic difficulty in it. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing well, and you take out one of the, whatever the main guys, I can't remember what they're called in it. Architects or something. Yeah, it, the game, the, the, the game difficulty jumps up. 
And I was like, what the fuck? Why is this all of a sudden so hard? I was doing so well. Like, what's going on? And, like, I'd stop, because, like, you know, I'd finish it. So I'm like, oh, I gotta get out of here so I can save all the stuff for, you know, next loop or whatever. And also the way they did the, um, like, the the clues, because, like, you have to put everything together and figure out how to kill everyone in one loop. The way they did the clues, I thought was, like, kind of shitty. I thought it was going to be more like, uh, you know, like, oh, I overheard this thing, so I got to put it together. They kind of speed food it to you, or spoon feed it to you. I like speed food it, though. <laughs> it's like, guys, um, which, like, I get, but also, like, I'm an adult. Like, come on, this is obviously not a baby's game. Like, yeah, I can figure it out. One of my biggest, biggest gripes, which I don't understand why they did it like this, the screen, like your your in-between mission screen, feels like a lobby screen for an online multiplayer game. Yeah. Which is crazy to me because, like, I don't understand why, like, choosing my loadout, like, why, like, he's got a hideout. He has a hideout. Why can't I just be in my hideout? Yeah. Why? Why, why... Why is why is this got to be this screen? Like I don't understand. It it breaks the immersion pretty hard. So I mean, you know, it's okay. It's not a bad game in any sense. It's just you know, it's definitely not a fucking ten out of ten. I can tell you that. Sure. Uh, and the only other game that I've played this year is Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. And it's Pokemon. I love it. It's just a remake of. Diamond and Pearl. And it's Pokemon. There's not much to say. Okay. I like it better than Sword and Shield. It's Pokemon. You know what you're getting. You're a fucking weeb. You're a fucking weeb. Yeah, okay. So I guess then we'll just wrap up. I'll briefly talk about... It's a 2020 game, but I played it in 2021, so that's more important. And it's Demon Souls. That's right, bitch. The old game, Back from the Grave, with the sick-ass remake by Bluepoint. And I played a little bit at your house after you got it last in 2020. And I had seen when it was, they first dropped the PS5 and were showing like, you go to your bonfire, then you, or the, whatever the fuck they're called, Archstone or whatever. Then you go to the next one and it's just like, there's no loading screen, you fucking moron. You just go there. It's not entirely true. There is still a little bit of loading naturally, but it's pretty fucking seamless. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's cool. Cause I played Demon Souls originally right like, the weekend after I got Dark Souls, I bought Demon Souls, and I played it with Jared for a couple days in between playing Dark Souls, and we had fun with it, but it was like, well, everything about Dark Souls is better than this, so we're going to keep playing Dark Souls, plus we could play Dark Souls together, and never got back to it, lent it to a different friend. He, I think, wound up beating the whole game, and but the one thing I did do was get to Flame Lurker, who's like the most notorious boss in the game because he's easily the most difficult and uh, is the most like bosses from the later games. And I just I will share this experience. So the game is absolutely gorgeous, but Beautiful. it's it's a warts and all situation, which is fine. And as somebody who's beaten every Souls game except for Sekiro, because I was getting migraines by the end. Uh, you know, I'm pretty decent at those types of games now, so I wasn't expecting too hard of a challenge, and I didn't really find one. The The more... It's not even challenging part of the game, but it's sort of mastering the mechanics of world and character tendency in order to try to get all the things you want in a playthrough, which require all this tendency manipulation, which is kind of a pain in the dick, but also, like, totally fun. Um, 
But when I got to the second world, which Flame Lurker is the boss of the second part of the second world, I immediately got invaded. I got killed. The person I'm pretty positive was hacking, although I was very low level. I mean, I'm like right in the beginning of the game, but I seem to be doing no damage even when I got hits. I die, and then where do I wind up? But at the Flame Lurker Archstone. But he's not dead, and I can't use the Archstone, and the fog gate on either side is locked. And so I come in, and then it's just the Flame Lurker. And I was feeling pretty good, and I was like, well, I mean, I might have died to this hacker in PvP, but I could I could probably beat the Flame Lurker. Right? Like, not, no, no. He's like, no? it's like King Kong covered in lava, <laughs> and uh, he was still very much the most difficult boss in the game for me, and... I got. I would have been soft locked there had I not had the item that kills you and sends you back to the nexus. But I was trapped in like a in an area where you couldn't teleport out, and I don't know whether that was. There used to be shit people would do hacking in the Souls games on the computers that would do things like that, or if this was just a game glitch because I know that speedrunners will do shit like this intentionally. So it could have been one or the other. But that was in my like first five hours of playing, and I was just like, "Holy shit, that's like a game." If I wasn't, if I didn't have the experience to know these kinds of things, like I would have had a fucking breakdown. I'd be like, "This game's difficulty spike is uh, a little insane." But no, happily, I got it all sorted, and yeah, I beat it much quicker than most Souls games. It's also significantly shorter in a lot of ways. It's you were like, also home for like two weeks. It was wonderful. Yeah, I got COVID three days after I got it, and. Uh, then I just had to stay home and play it. And the worst thing about it, and if you're listening and you're playing it or you're going to get it or whatever, do not use the Ring of Providential Discovery if you're trying to farm for specific gems for upgrading. Or not gems, but stones. Because it actually increases the chances of other items dropping instead of the stones. And I had to grind one enemy. I killed him... I think I killed him like 250 times by the time I finally got the stone I needed from him, which was days. It was, I had already, it was like the last thing I did before I wrapped up my first playthrough, but just days and days, nights of it. Like, you know, it was probably seven hours in total, but like that's seven hours just basically killing a single enemy over and over and over. Got me pretty good at parrying and, you know, sidestepping and all that, but. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? But now my weapon's fully upgraded, so. The game is so beautiful. Yeah. it's. I definitely really like it. It's It's definitely not as punishing as the other no. and, Souls games that yeah, I've experienced. Yeah, and, you know, having completely beaten the piss out of Bloodborne earlier this year, except for a couple of the Chalice bosses, uh, it definitely, like, you know, there's no comparison to a game like that. And it doesn't really stack up to the Dark Souls games, but it's just its own wonderful thing, and it's just like another flavor. It's like Pringles, right? Like, all Pringles are good, but some Pringles are better than others. But they're all very good, and I would eat any of them, so. Yeah, and now uh, Sony owns Bluepoint, I think. I think they bought them. Nice. I know they, they own House Marquee, so. You know, they're doing well. Um I think that's it. So that's 2021 in review. We appreciate you guys sticking on for another very long episode. Yeah. But it's kind of hard. Next to... episode, 2022. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully our next BDMFT will be, you know, 45 minutes and call it good. I already know what I'm going to do and it's like two 12 inches in one album. Oh, Warren. How long can I talk about that for? One oh. hour later. So. 
Anyways, later nerds. Later nerds.